It's almost uh, 25 years ago. I was about 23, maybe 24 years old and stood here before some of you and preached my first lesson. And uh, at the time, we had some uh, men and elders that uh, thought that I could do that and encouraged me to do it. Still remember today this, that lesson and what it was and uh, teaching on Saul's conversion and having the overhead projector here with uh, the plastic transparency screens. And, but, uh, you know, again, I probably would have never done that had I not had some, some men here that encouraged me to do that and to think about that and um, gave me some, some bit of confidence that I could do it. And then for the next 24 plus years, I've continued to have some men here that have uh, entrusted me to bring forth the gospel and to teach and have shown some confidence in me to do that. And, and now here we are in a position I, I never would have thought of, never would have thought Rod would leave, and uh, never would have thought I'd do my first lesson with Rod back in the audience as a visitor. So. Uh, but it's definitely good to see, see them back, and I certainly hope we'll, we'll get to see them from time to time uh, visiting us. And the elders, of course, now have asked me to be a part of this the rotation with them and, and, and preach uh, on a monthly basis. And uh, I certainly am glad to do that and to try to do that uh, to the best of my ability. I can, I can give you that promise that, uh, as I do any time I've ever preached, that uh, I'll give you my best. Uh, I will strive to do the best job I can. Uh, I'm not going to be as, as a polished of a preacher's rod, but um, I know one thing, I've learned from his example over the years, and I know that I've got great courage and confidence, not in, in me or anything that I do, but that I will always go to God's word, and I will let God's word speak. And uh, again, I've learned that from watching Rod for many years uh, in his teaching, and then what Chris talked about last week, you know, what, what's the task uh, of an evangelist, what's the job? And certainly the biggest task is to, to nourish us and encourage us uh, using God's word. So I will strive to do that, and I certainly would request and petition your prayers on my behalf as I do strive to do that, and if, if you ever think I'm not doing that, I'd certainly welcome uh, you to let me know. If you would, this morning, open your Old Testaments to the book of Exodus. We're going to be going back and forth a little bit between chapter 3 and 4. And uh, that will be our main focus uh, of text this morning. James tells us that the Bible is like a mirror. That we can look into it as a mirror. And we can see our reflection. But other, unlike a regular mirror where we see how our hair looks and how we're dressed, we are seeing how we look before God. We're seeing what God would see. Uh, as stewards and servants of, of his. So I think that's one thing we strive to do every time we come here, uh, is to look into God's word and look into it as a mirror and examine ourselves and, and strive to grow and to be better. So as we look into the mirror of God's word this morning, there's two questions to consider. The first question is, is God calling me to do something? And the second question is, how am I responding to that call? Hopefully, the first question is pretty easy for all of us 
as most of us have been Christians for, for a long time. And we can easily and readily answer, yes, of course. God is calling all of us. He is calling on us to do all sorts of things. He has called upon us to be obedient to his word and submit to his instruction and his command. He's called us to, to walk worthy before him every day. Living a light, a, a, an example to the world striving to avoid sin and when we do sin he's called us to repent and to change he's called us to gather with brethren first day of the week to worship he's called upon us in our own lives to individually spend time and studying his word and praying to him and, and building a relationship with him he has called upon us to meet with the brethren and be with the brethren at every opportunity that we can so the elders have, have established Bible classes on Sunday morning and Wednesday evening and, and ladies' studies and, and home Bible studies. And we're called upon to be a part of those. We've been called upon to, to serve, to do good works, to show kindness, to show the love of God. We've been called upon to give and to partake of the Lord's Supper, as we just did. We've been called upon to live and love God with all of our heart, our soul, our, our mind, and to love man as well, and to evangelize and, and to exhort and correct when we see error, to lead, to teach, and to live a, a proper example. So that's a lot, and there's, there's probably more that I don't, didn't list. And you say, well, how do you, how do you know all those? How can you say for certain that, that God has called upon us to do all those things? And maybe you're thinking, I don't think God has called me to do that. Uh, well, that's where your personal Bible study comes in. I'd, I'd certainly be willing to sit down with anyone who thinks something that I listed is not our calling, but I believe we can show in the Bible that we're called upon to do all those things. But we individually have to put our personal study into God's Word and see what He is calling us to do. So for us as Christians, um, the real issue is, is the second question. So two questions this morning. First question's done. Five minutes in, that's pretty good, right? Question two will take a little bit longer. How am I responding to that call? How am I answering God when he calls on me to do any of these things? Do I make excuses, reasons why I can't do that, can't do that right now, don't have the ability to do that, don't want to do that? Do I complain about having to do it? Do I accept the duty and then complain that I have to do it? Do we put it off? Or do we just jump in and say, you know what, I've been called upon to do this, um, and whatever condition I'm in right now, if God's called upon me to do it, I know I can do it, and I'm going to grow and I'm going to get better in doing it, but I'm going to accept the calling and I'm going to do it. When you think that God has created us, he knows everything about us. He knows what we're capable of. Uh, he's certainly not going to ask anything of us that we're not capable of. And we also know from Scripture that his will is going to be done. Whether we accept that responsibility, his will will always be done. But I think the question is for us, how does this affect my soul? How does this affect my salvation? 
will God accept my excuses? And I think it's a great thing to consider and, and, and put yourself at the day of judgment when you're answering to God for your life and, and that book of your life is open and God is going through your life in times when you've been called to do things and you've given excuses. Is there, I mean, can you honestly think of any excuse that you could give before God? And he would say, okay, that, that one is okay then. It's all right that you didn't do that. It's okay that you regularly did not attend worship. It's okay that you regularly neglected personal Bible study. It's okay that you regularly did not give on the first day of the week. Because you have a really good excuse. You have a really good reason as to why. And I think we know the answer to that. God's not going to accept any excuse for us not fulfilling our calling. We're here at a time in Ontario where, again, things are, are changing and, and maybe men are going to have to step up and do more and, and Christians here are going to be asked maybe by the elders to do, do more things and to serve in ways they've never served before. Um, and again, what will we say? What will our response be? Are we here to serve? Are we here to do our part? We all have a part. Ephesians talks about each of us being uh, members and parts that work together. We have a duty before God, and if we want to be the church that God expects us to be, if we want a church be a church that's acceptable before God, we all need to, to step in and to do our work and do our part. And if we've been making excuses, what we're going to see today is that's okay as long as we change. And we absolutely can change, and we must change if we're going to be acceptable before God. So obviously, probably from the screen and thinking about Exodus 4, if you're already there, you know who we're going to look at this morning to help us figure this out. And that man is Moses. And Moses is, is quite a man, a hero of faith. And we're going to look at some passages there in a moment. Um, at one point, called by God, the most humble man on the face of the earth. We know, of course, his leadership and, and and what he had to deal with in leading God's people. But what we also remember and know is that when he was called to do that, he didn't want to do it. He made excuse after excuse after excuse and tried to get out of it. And thankfully, God is patient. Uh, and eventually, Moses decided to accept that call. And look at the man he became. So, I hope this morning as we study Moses and we, we kind of look about the man he was and we look at the excuses that he gave and we also look at God's response. And that goes back to that question. Will God accept my excuse? Well, he didn't accept any of Moses. Moses had some pretty good ones. Moses had some that I bet we've used at times. And they were not accepted by God. God uh, still required him to do what he called him to do. So hopefully this morning we'll be able to look at Moses and uh, learn some lessons from his life. So before we get to Exodus 4, let's do a little background on Moses. And again, we won't try to spend too much time on this. And of course you could go to Exodus 1 and 2 and, and we can get that there. But I thought it'd be better for us to look at some New Testament primarily, some New Testament text that also tells us about Moses and gives us some additional details that Exodus does not give. So we know God is going to call Moses 
to lead his people out of Egypt. We know God had this plan and, and, and set and knew the man he was picking for this task and was certainly confident that Moses could do this. Uh, he created Moses and he knew what he was capable of doing. So um, first point that I think is really interesting and, and comes from Acts 7. We're going to read a few verses from Acts 7. So if you want to hold your finger there in, in Exodus and, and flip over to Acts 7 for a moment. Um, and this, of course, is Stephen. Uh, you, you know, we know this, this text well. Stephen is, is preaching the history uh, leading up to Christ, trying to preach uh, to these, uh, this angry group. And, and, of course, we know the conclusion of that as he is stoned. But there's a, a portion of that history where he talks about Moses. And he starts in Acts uh, chapter 7, verse 17. Uh, I'm going to drop down again just for time's sake to start in verse 20. It says, at this time, this is again Acts 7, verse 20. At this time, Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God. I thought that part was interesting. Even at Moses' birth, God was well-pleased. Why? He knew Moses, what man Moses would become. And, and we're going to read a couple things. Again, we don't have time to read a lot, but we'll read a couple things that indicate the relationship that God had with Moses and what he thought of him. But his birth is well-pleasing to God. And he was brought up in his father's house for three months. But when he was set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. Okay, in verse 22. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. So keep that in, in your mind as we get to some of the excuses that Moses will try to use. And yet we know he was a highly educated man and had quite a skill set that went with that. Verse 23. Now when he was 40 years old, so now we know Moses is 40 years old, and it came into his heart to visit the brethren, the children of Israel. That's another key thing to keep in mind, and we're going to look at the Hebrew passage in a moment, which will kind of back this point up that Moses was always wanting to be with God and his people. Even though being in the kingdom and the house of Pharaoh, there were a lot of perks. There were a lot of privileges. There were a lot of things that went with that, that he was willing to give up because his heart was with God. His heart was with God's people. Verse 24, And seeing one of them suffering wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. Look at verse 25. For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand. So even here, Moses has a, a desire uh, to protect, to defend, to care for God's people. And he thought even they would understand that. that he's doing this for them. He's, he's protecting them. And God is going to deliver them, but they didn't understand that. And we know the next day, verse 26, he appears to two of them as they're fighting, and he tries to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brethren. Why do you do wrong to one another? But he who did his neighbor wrong pushed him away, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? You want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? So obviously we know the text, and we go back to Exodus, Moses recognizes that this is known, and he fears for his life, and he flees. So how much time has passed? Verse 30. And when 40 years had passed, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame and the fire in the bush. So now 
Moses would be about 80 years old, right? And God has come to him. And again, you can read these verses. You can go back to Exodus. And, and God, uh, God calls to him. And Moses' response is, here I am. And he's respectful. And he's humble. And he can't even look into the, the, the fire and, and to, to, to talk with God. He's, here it says in verse 32, he's trembling. And he dared not look. And the Lord instructs him to take his sandals off, for he's on holy ground. Verse 34, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to deliver them. Now come, I will send you to Egypt. It's interesting, Exodus 2, when talking about this, says that God acknowledged them. God acknowledged his people. Here it says, I've heard their groaning. I've come to deliver them. And so that's kind of a side note to our lesson, but what a, what a blessing it is to have a God in heaven who hears us, who acknowledges us, who wants to deliver us and to protect us, right? Verse 35, This Moses whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge, is the one God sent to be a ruler and a deliverer. Pretty interesting when you think about his own brethren rejecting him, questioning his, his leadership and his desire to deliver them. And Moses flees, and now he's going to be the one to go back and to deliver them. So we know uh, another 40 years will happen with all that history, and Moses is going to die at the age of 120. We see this in Deuteronomy 31.2, and also in Deuteronomy 34.7. And that passage is really interesting because... We know that Moses was not at an old age to, to, to where he died of old age. It says in that text that his eyesight was not dim and his vigor had not left him. And we know why he died. Because it was a consequence. It was a punishment. He had not shown glory to God when he was supposed to speak to the rock and he struck the rock. And, and God said, you will not go in. Well, they're about to go in. And God says, this, this is your time, Moses. Your time on this earth is done. Hebrews. Of course, the, the text that talks to us about the heroes of faith. Uh, and of course, Moses is uh, spoken of here, starting in verse 23. And again, I won't read all the verses, but a couple, highlight a couple things. Um, that first verse is interesting because it says, his parents were not afraid of the king's command. And so thinking about because of his parents' courage and his parents' willingness to protect him, uh, Moses becomes this, this great, useful leader for God. Verse 24, though, says, By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. And in verse 27, by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of king, the king. So again, we learn something about his character. That he desired to be with God and God's people, um, and he would rather suffer and, and take reproach than be with uh, the Pharaoh and, and all the pleasures uh, that came with that life. Okay, going back to the Old, Old Testament now. Um, one more text before we get back to Exodus. Numbers chapter 12. 
Verse 3 says, Now the man Moses was very humble, more than all men who were on the face of the earth. That, that, that verse right there is, is, says so much about this man. And remember the context here. This is when his brother and sister Aaron and Miriam are, are going against him and speaking against him and saying, Is Moses the only prophet? You know, Moses is the only one that can speak for God? And, and then it says this point about Moses being humble. And, and God has to come to Moses' defense, right? As it continues on, he calls all three of them out. In um, verse 6, God says to Aaron and Miriam, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. So yeah, there, there were others, right? It wasn't just Moses. God would use others as prophets. But verse 7, Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. Look at verse 8. I speak with him face to face, plainly, not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of the Lord. Why then are you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And finally, um, one more just again to show the character and the background of of Moses going back to Exodus in chapter 2. And we know this is after he's fled. Um, He's fearful for his life. So in Exodus chapter 2 and verse 16, uh, Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and they drew water, and they filled the troughs to water their flocks. Then shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up, and he helped them, and he watered their flock. You know, just such small little statements that tell you about Moses. I mean, here are complete strangers. He doesn't know these women. And yet he stands up, and he protects them, and then he serves them, and helps water their flock. And we know, of course, these daughters are going to go back to Jethro, and and he's got a question, why, how quickly you came back? And they said, well, this man helped us. And his response is, well, where's the man at? We need to take care of this man. And, of course, we know they go back, and he's going to marry one of the daughters, Moses, Zipporah, and uh, he's going to be here for 40 years. So, so what has happened? Well, well, Moses obviously has fled. He's afraid. He's afraid of, of the Pharaoh, most likely. He probably doesn't feel comfortable with his own brethren, as they have kind of rejected him. Um, he's now been away for a long time, 40 years. That's a long time. To be away. He's spent his life as a shepherd. Um, you know, he probably has other reasons why maybe when God comes to him, he's going to make excuses. Maybe he's, he's just lacking in confidence because so much time has passed. Maybe he's, he's fearful. Maybe he just doesn't want to go back. And whatever it is, he is going to go into a list of five excuses that he's going to give before God to try and get out of this task that God's called him upon. So let's look now at those excuses of Moses. And I'm going to actually start with number three. So there's five excuses, and we'll go back in a moment and go through them in order. But I want to start with number three for two reasons. One, this is kind of where I got the title for the lesson. And number two, I think this particular one, which is kind of in the middle of these excuses, really kind of culminates everything. The main points God is trying to make to Moses. You know, it's not about you. It's about me. 
I can use you. I can use you in whatever condition you have and, and whatever you have before you. I can use things that you don't have. But I can help you be successful. And, and so God is really trying to get him to understand it's not about anything but him trusting. I've called upon you to do this. I know you can do it. Trust me. Obey me. And I'll take care of everything else. So let's, let's look at that text now. So Exodus chapter 4 and the first nine verses. So again, this is kind of in the middle, right? He, he's given a couple excuses already. This is the third excuse. Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, The Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, What is in your hand? He said, A rod. And he said, God said, Cast it on the ground. So Moses cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. One thing that's interesting to me about this text is he's so fearful and he's making so many excuses to do so many things, and yet it seems he's very willing just to reach down and grab a snake by its tail. I mean, that's as fearful to me and Bill, right? We don't like snakes, right? So, you know, but he doesn't seem to show any hesitation. God tells him to do it, he does it. And I think, you know, again, there's something to be said about what's really on his heart, right? He does want to obey God. So he picks this snake up, and it becomes a rod in his hand. Verse 5, that they may believe, the people he's going to, that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Furthermore, the Lord said to him, Now put your hand in your bosom. And he put his hand in his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was white, was leprous, and, and like snow. And he said, put your hand in your bosom again. So he put his hand in his bosom, and he drew it out, and behold, it was restored like the other flesh. Again, I just find that interesting. You put your hand in, your hands out, and it's leprous. And there doesn't seem to be, anyway, there's no suggestion that there's any panic or concern or worry. Um, he knows God's in control. He, know, he, he knows what, that God's doing this. And he puts his hand back in and, and it returns. Verse 8. Then it will be, if they do not believe you, nor heed the message of the first sign, they may believe the message of the latter sign. And if it shall be that they do not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, that you should take water from the river and pour it on the dry land, the water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land. So, not only is, is God given a, a, a very appropriate answer, but he's given him some things that should give him great confidence that he can convince the people. And actually, we're going to see in just a moment when we go back and we go in order, he's already given Moses some things that should give him great confidence uh, before the people. But he's fearful. He's scared. He thinks these people will reject him. Maybe that's his last memory. Maybe that's what he remembers them rejecting before. Um, maybe he thinks, again, he just can't do this. He's not capable. Uh, he's not ready. He's not prepared. Um, but the point is, when you have God calling on you, that's enough. God has given you 
what you need, whatever condition we're in, whatever we have in our hand, wherever we're at currently. Maybe we're a new Christian. Maybe we've never done something before. Again, we can do it uh, because God has called upon us to do it. So here again, God's given him three things. The rod, which is again quite an interesting thing to think about. How much confidence kind of Moses does seem to, to take in that rod is later he's going to say, I, I'm going to take the rod of God. <laughs> and so in some sense, he, he kind of had some confidence in it, but really it's not about the rod. It, it's not about his hand. It's not about the water. It, it's about God's power to do so with that. And he'll use that rod multiple times. I thought about taking the time to, to go through that, but I'm not going to do that. He uses that rod many times for, for many different things. Some of the plagues... And then, of course, unfortunately, as we know, he uses the rod in a, in a bad way. When he's told to speak to the rock, and he strikes the rock with a rod. So, again, for us to, to just consider, you know, what's our condition? Where are we at? What can we do? Do we make excuses like this when we're called upon? Um, that, oh, people won't believe me. They won't listen. Oh, I can't do this. They won't believe in you, God. They're not going to believe that that you really sent me. Um, We're disrespecting God. We're we're disobeying God and showing no trust in Him that He'll take care of us and He'll give us the things we need to do what we're called upon to do. Okay, so let's look at now, um, kind of go back and kind of go through these in order. And we'll go through them pretty quickly here. But starting back in uh, Exodus chapter 3 is where this begins. And again, we're not reading all the the context uh, because, again, I think we're all pretty familiar with the story. Um, And we did read a little bit of it in Acts 7. But at this point, God has called him. He does at the beginning say, again, you know, very respectfully, here I am. And he's he's there. He's humble. He's respectful. He's listening. But then God says, I'm going to send you back. You're going to go back um, to the sons, uh, uh, to to my people. And you're going to lead them. So let's start with the first excuse in Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to the Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? God's response, verse 12. So he said, I will certainly be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. I think that's probably a a pretty common excuse, isn't it? Who am I? How can I do this? I can't do that. I I couldn't talk to someone about the gospel. I couldn't uh, teach a class. I couldn't lead a home Bible study. I, I can't read my Bible every day. I just don't have the time. I don't have the ability. I don't uh, have that skill. I'm not talented enough. I don't know enough about God's Word to talk to someone. I mean, again, we could sit here and and create all sorts of of different things that we might make this type of excuse for. And yet God's response is, I will be with you. I don't know about you, but when I read that, I think, okay, that's it. That should be it, right? God is with me. I know how powerful God is. I have a heart. I want to serve God. That that should be it. Case closed. Okay, that's enough for me. Um, Tell me what you want to do. When should I leave? 
Uh, but as we know, that's not, not going to be it. Four more excuses are going to come. Okay, let's look at the second one. So this comes from Exodus chapter 3 and verse 13. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, and, and we've had many lessons on this and discussions about this. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Um, and, and again, we won't take the time today to explore that. I think we're all familiar with that statement and how powerful that statement is. That, that that's his response to Moses. I am who I am. You know me. You know that I'm the creator of all things. I created you, that, that I'm the author of this universe, that uh, I'm in control of everything. That is enough. And when you go back, you're going to tell them the same thing. And they'll know who that is. That is enough to know. Verse 15, he says, Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the afflictions of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites to a land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 18, then they will heed your voice. Again, what a vote of confidence that God is giving Moses that if he does, just trust obeys and does what he's told to do, things are going to work out. The text continues there with God telling Moses what he's going to do before the Pharaoh. He's going to go before the king of Egypt, and here's what you're going to say. And he tells him in advance, you know, the Pharaoh's going to reject. He's, he's not going to let them go. Um, but I will have to strike Egypt with all my wonders, and I will do that in its midst. And after that, he will let you go. So it's interesting to think about Moses knew, should have known everything that was coming and been prepared for that uh, and expected that. So again, do we make that type of excuse as, as Moses did, saying, oh, well, again, the people, they're going to question me. They're, gonna, they're not going to believe in you. Um, do we just ever let God's word do the work? I know we've used that example so many times when studying with people and just saying, open up to a verse and let them read it. It's, it's, again, it's not about me and you. Let God's work do the word. Let his creation and, and uh, that do the work. That, that's really what it's about. So we've already talked about the third point. They won't believe or listen to me. God's response, uh, again, what is in your hand? So he had given Moses everything he needed. Okay, The fourth excuse. This comes from uh, Exodus chapter 4 and starting in verse 10. And this is another one where I think, uh, you know, maybe you or I have used this type of excuse before. So let's look at verses 10 to 12, Exodus chapter 4. Then Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, 
neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Remember what we read about Moses earlier? Acts 7, raised by the Egyptians, the Pharaoh, mighty in words and deeds. You know, this is an interesting one to me too, because again, clearly he had the ability. God would not have asked him to do it if he didn't. But we're even told that he's a well-educated man. Now, we could argue, okay, it's been 40 years, and maybe he's lost those skills, and he doesn't have that confidence. But I think sometimes a point can be made here that we in our hearts know we can do something, but we just don't want to do it. Maybe it's hard. Maybe it's challenging. It's uncomfortable. And so we'll just make something up. This is pretty good, right? I mean, if I can't speak, how can I go talk to these people? I can't. There's no way I can do this. So that seems like a a pretty good excuse. One that maybe God will accept. No, verse 11. So the Lord said to him, Who made man's mouth? Who makes the mute, the deaf, the seen, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. That's, That's a pretty strong response from God that God made your mouth so you're sitting here saying I can't speak my tongue is slow God made that God made the blind and the mute and the deaf as well and he can use them and that goes back to our point right whatever my condition is whatever my ability is if I'm honest and willing to trust and obey and, and, and heed the call of God then I can do it and I can fulfill that call. And that, so what, what a powerful statement there. And then he says, go and I will be your mouth and I will teach you what you shall say. I, I think, again, a vote of confidence. God's going to give him everything he needs, including the words that he will need to say. So that enough? No? One final excuse. And this kind of seems his last attempt. It's not even really a, a good excuse, right? Just uh, basically send anybody but me. <laughs> so Exodus chapter 4, verse 13, and it's right after God says, go, I will be your mouth and teach you what you shall say. Verse 13, but Moses said, oh my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. Please. I'm begging, I'm pleading, don't make me do this. Have someone else do it, anybody else, just not me. And again, it's not even a good excuse. It's just, I don't want to do it. And you haven't taken any of my other excuses, so I'm just going to beg and plead that you would not have me do this. And what's, what's the response of God? We're seeing now the response to be a little bit different. Verse 14, so the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Thankfully, God's anger is a righteous anger, and thankfully, he's a patient God. Um, And even though he's angry with Moses right now, he still gives an answer to Moses' excuse. He says, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And look, he's also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him. And put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth, and with his mouth, 
and I will teach you what you shall do. So he shall be your spokesman to the people, and he himself shall be as a mouth for you, and you shall be to him as God. And you shall take this rod in your hand, with which you shall do these signs. So do we ever get to that point where we know we don't really even have a good reason to why we're not doing what we're asked to do? And we just basically ask, please don't pick me. Pick somebody else. Moses had gotten to that point. And that doesn't seem too good. That doesn't seem very worthy of good character. And yet we know what man Moses will become. The most humble man on the face of the earth. What's also interesting, of course, is right after this, and we won't spend the time to to study this because we only have a few more minutes here, but we know that right after this, Moses obviously is going to accept finally. He's going to go to his father-in-law and tell him what he's going to do. And then at the end of chapter 4, verses 18 to 31, God seeks to kill Moses. And that, again, we've had lessons on that before, so you know we can, you can study that on your own a little bit more. But it's just really interesting to think about God going through all this that we've just gone through. Going back and forth with Moses and his excuses and, and God giving him everything he needs to go and do his will. And then he seeks to kill him. And if you remember why, it was because he had not circumcised his son. And his wife, Zipporah, has to step in and, and really help him. But, you know, even in this situation, God is calling on him, but he was still also called to be obedient. How could he go back and be a leader of God's people when he's not even being obedient to God's command? So, interestingly enough, that happens at the end of, of chapter 4. So, what have we learned from God's answers to Moses? So we've seen Moses give five excuses, and we've seen God's answers. And that's kind of a summary of what those answers look like. God is the one and only. He said, I am who I am. He is the only creator of all things. He has given an abundance of evidence to prove his, his power and creation. Um, He is the one and only Savior and Judge. I mean, we've been studying Isaiah, and and certainly that has come out in that book over and over. Um, So, again, these are things I think that we could spend some time dwelling on and thinking about. And when that call does come, hopefully they give us the confidence uh, to to answer that call. Number two, God made us. You say, oh, I'm deficient. I'm not very good at public speaking. Oh, I can't. I couldn't stand before a group. I couldn't teach a class. Um, You know, again, you could just continue to make excuse after excuse for why you can't do something. And I think we have to be reminded God made us exactly as we are. And he wouldn't call upon us to do something uh, if we could not do it. Number three, God is going to be with us. What what an encouragement and uh, a blessing to know when I'm doing fulfilling the call of God, he's going to be with me. Four, God gives us help. He gave Moses his brother, Aaron. He knew, he knew Moses didn't need Aaron, but he, he still gave Moses some help. And I think about how God has given us help, the local church and our brethren and elders and, 
and, and his word, and you know, we can make a list there of, of all the things that he has done for us. And number five, again, God will use us in whatever condition we're in, because it's not about us. It's about God, it's about his will being done, and uh, he can use us in, in whatever condition that we find ourselves so hopefully this morning uh, we've been able to give some thought to God's call which we went through a lot of things and that wasn't the primary focus of the lesson but certainly God has called upon us to do things and it's time you know to look in the mirror and ask myself what is God calling on me to do am I doing those things why am I not doing those things what excuses am I making and will any of those excuses be acceptable? When I stand before God in the day of judgment, will he say, okay, it's all right, you didn't do those things. Your excuse was good. And we know that uh, he's not going to accept those excuses. So whatever state we're in, we can be involved, we can be serving, we can be answering the call. And if we've been making excuses, we can change. Moses changed. Moses became a great man of God, became the most faithful, one of the most faithful and most humble men before God. A relationship where he spoke face to face with with him. Um, so again, if Moses can do it, then then certainly we can. At this time, we're going to offer the invitation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And speaking of humble servants, there's no greater one than Jesus, who left heaven and came to this earth and willingly died on the cross for our sins that we could be forgiven and again what an example that we have in him but what a savior we have in him that we can have remission of sins we can have salvation we can have a home in heaven and if you're here this morning and you feel that your walk has not been what it needs to be before god and you've been making some excuses and you need to make that right or or you just need the prayers of this congregation to help you with that. Um, whatever your need is this morning, we ask you to come forward now as we stand and sing.